Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, I'm privileged to welcome not just a dear friend and someone who I hold in high regard, but a person who has been a serial entrepreneur and has taught at various colleges and institutions around the world. Ram Subramaniam, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Ram is a, the co-founder of My Money Karma. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's just completed his PhD in entrepreneurship. So Ram, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Wow, that was a generous introduction, Ashutosh. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. But I would like to add a caveat to it that luck and randomness played a crucial role in all these things. Wonderful. So... In the interest of full disclosure, let's put it out there. Hmm. You were talking about milestones. Mm -hmm. uh, I consider milestones to be achievements. Mm -hmm. so in my case, I'm going to call them pivotal moments or events because I didn't achieve any of this. First, I was born into an environment that taught Bhagavad Gita and Tripural, mm -hmm. the Tamil literary masterpiece early on in my life. Mm -hmm. Trukural was held even in higher esteem in this environment because it didn't have a religious connotation to it. It addressed social issues and more importantly, it discussed the ephemeral nature of life itself. Okay. My uh, high school teachers cared more about my future than even I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was called junk. The mm -hmm. Swiss anthropologist who once said, the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. Mm -hmm. And this environment really helped me with that. I'm so grateful I was born in this environment because I can't imagine how I would have turned out had I been born in, let's say, Pyongyang in North Korea. Mm -hmm. The second one was I was doing my undergrad engineering in PSG Tech, mm -hmm. a pretty reputed college in Coimbatore, well-known both in India and outside India. Mm -hmm. I was doing my fourth year engineering. That's when I realized I'm not going to make a good engineer. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. So I was looking into other potential possibilities as I was investigating what I should do for a living. Mm -hmm. We had a course in computer programming in the fourth year, not a full course, half a course, and they taught us Fortran programming and I fell in love with it. Okay. To my utter surprise, I started going to the library and started reading books on programming. I learned a couple of programming languages. During the final year, the PSG Tech alumni from the United States sent two Apple Macintosh computers. So I had an opportunity to practice a little bit of programming. And when I graduated, I decided to become a full-time computer programmer. I gave up uh, an engineering opportunity, took mm -hmm. a lower salary, moved to a more expensive city. Mm -hmm. The situation was so bad that during month ends, I had to borrow money from my classmates to pay the rent. You wow. know, I had to thank my classmates there. But I'm so happy I did because today, going to work is like going on a picnic for me. Right. I don't know where my job begins and joy begins. Job and joy, everything is the same for me. Fantastic. So happy I did it. Okay. 
The third one was, I was working in Florida. I was in my uh, early 30s. I had just gotten married at that time. I was working for a company. Everybody liked me. I liked the people I worked with. I was traveling a lot to South America, Caribbean, Europe. I really enjoyed my job. But then I wanted to try out entrepreneurship. And my wife was okay with it. I went and launched my uh, first venture. And I was surprised that it succeeded. So as you could see, in all these instances, luck and randomness played an important role. I don't think I can claim that I achieved all these things because I'm not one of those super duper intelligent guys. I was not a topper in the class. Uh-huh. If anything, my goal was not to be in the bottom. Well done. Well said. But I'm sure you also heard the other line which says that the person who wins the sword of honor doesn't become the chief of army staff and the guy who tops in business school doesn't become the chairman of a company, you know. So, oh, very true. Very true. So, so okay. So, Ram, let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. You built businesses. You've exited from businesses. You're now in a very exciting business. Tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, surprisingly, my entrepreneurial journey has been pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Not too many ups and downs. Uh, I guess, again, I got very lucky and fortunate there. I never thought that entrepreneurial journey is an exercise in self-discovery. That was a surprise to me. It highlighted my abilities, my inabilities, my shortcomings. It also highlighted my uh, biases, my presumptions, Mm -hmm. my my, uh, areas that I need to improve. Mm and how I communicated with people, how I communicated with fellow founders, employees, and so on and so forth. Mm. And sometimes I felt that the decisions I made were a representation of who I am as an individual. They were a reflection of my own character. Mm. So when situations arose where I had to change directions in the company, uh, I was able to uh, reflect on reflect on my own uh, decision-making skills. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I was able to understand a little bit more about me. uh, And I'm so happy that this entrepreneurial journey helped me in that. Okay. I had an opportunity to work with investors, work with young people, uh, work with old guys. I had to work with people who I disagree with. And more importantly, uh, as a tech founder, I had to be hands-on. You know, mm-hmm. In any technology company, one of the founders had to be a tech founder. Wonderful. And I happened to be the tech founder and I was very hands-on. And you know, you, you have written books. The, the Buck Stops Here is a book you wrote. You have written five books in management. I don't think I have read a total of five books in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but so, you know, hmm. the, 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 the Buck Stops Here says, as a, as a founder, I have nobody else to point my fingers at. Hmm. I am responsible at the end of the day and the buck stops with me. Correct. Well said. Well said. So tell me a little bit about your latest venture, My Money Karma. See, My Money Karma uh, was a product of or is a product of uh, what and uh, what I and one of my uh, Stanford classmates decided to do one day sitting in a, a canteen in Stanford Business School. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had financial experience in India. I had the technology experience, even though I am also an options trader. So as we were uh, thinking about uh, the potential in India, 
Mm-hmm. We realized that fintech is an opportunity for us to do good and do well mm-hmm. because banks were under the impression that uh, their business models are never going to change. Okay. In fact, um, Warren Buffet, who is well known for investing in banks because those business models don't change. Warren mm-hmm. Buffet doesn't like change much. That's why he doesn't even invest in tech companies until recently. Correct. So uh, we realized that banks are not immune mm-hmm. to uh, change and mm-hmm. that the change is coming from all directions. Right. So we found that we can marry uh, the technology experience of mine and my co-founder's uh, financial experience and mm-hmm. then deliver a good product and a set of services to consumers in India. Right. And that's how the fintech uh, company My Money Karma was born and we are headquartered in Hyderabad. Fantastic. So let's move on, Ram. And, you know, you've just finished your doctoral degree in entrepreneurship. Tell me, what is the hypothesis that you were working on? The genesis of uh, my doctoral research was, uh, I don't know if you remember, you and I were working together at one IIM to put together an incubation center. I was working with a lot of uh, uh, incubation centers, both in the United States and in India. Mm -hmm. What I observed was, the IT founders and IT entrepreneurs had specific advantages because the ecosystem of an IT entrepreneur is much different from that of a non-IT entrepreneur. Correct. I observed that the stigma of failure is lower for IT entrepreneurs. Mm. An opportunity cost is much higher for an IT entrepreneur. Mm. And the technology evolution is also much higher for IT entrepreneurs, whereas for a non-IT entrepreneurs, so many technologies are stagnant. Okay. So the differences in ecosystems between the IT entrepreneurs and non-IT ones, mm-hmm. I was curious to know whether it influences them in the decision-making differently okay. and whether they might or they could reattempt venture launching at different rates Mm -hmm. after failing. So I wanted to investigate it. And uh, as a practicing entrepreneur, uh, it was a little easier for me to form this hypothesis. Moreover, I was very curious. I wanted to really get an answer to this. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to know the answer to the question, it is that uh, IT entrepreneurs are more likely to retry uh, entrepreneurship after failing than non-IT ones. And there were also some surprises. I was under the impression that funding availability may be more for IT entrepreneurs than for non-IT ones, and uh, that didn't pan out. Fantastic. So, you know, every time I've had a long conversation with you, I've always heard you talk very passionately about the CEO of 2030. And I know you do a lot of work on this and talk at several management schools about this. What are your thoughts on what should the qualities of a CEO be in 2030? Actually, I'll give you a little bit uh, history into how this course even came into existence. Okay. Uh, I was in 2009, 2010. I was attending a conference in San Francisco of uh, CEOs, in which many CEOs from India were visiting. And some of the CEOs in India said at that time, now that the US companies were selling at 50, 60% discount, mm-hmm. Their problem was, even though they could acquire those firms, they were not able to find Indian CEOs to run those companies. Okay. And that was a big surprise to me because we have these reputed business schools in India. 
Mm. And unfortunately, here are these uh, businessmen in India feeling that there is no enough talent in India to run these companies. Mm. So as I started investigating, as I started working with some of the professors, that's when I realized that a special specific training targeting students, preparing them to be future CEOs was really lacked in India. Mm -hmm. So I put together content for that. I spoke to several CEOs and what I found was very interesting. You know, I, uh, I composed uh, or I compiled the content of my interviews with the CEOs and added my own content. And what happened was, one, the business models are changing is an understatement. Business models have always been changing. The problem is new models are created more rapidly and destroyed more rapidly. Mm -hmm. So, and the demarcation between established firms and startups in terms of how companies need to be run, mm -hmm. that is slowly disappearing. Okay. The established organizations, including banks, cannot sit on their laurels and then say, okay, our business model is not going to change mm -hmm. because their business model is also going to change. Mm -hmm. And then there is this new business model that is evolving here in the United States. I don't think it's there in Asia yet. They're called SPACs, okay. special purpose acquisition companies. SPACs are, you know, those are shell companies. They don't have any operations yet. But the investors pump money into SPACs mm. under the assumption that the SPAC founders will one day find companies to acquire and take them public. Okay. Now, this model has been there for about 15 years in the United States now, but then recently what has happened is the SPACs are absorbing an enormous amount of funding from various sources because of the liquidity in the market. Mm -hmm. So, if you were to look at what skills might be required in the future for potential CEOs of global conglomerates, one is the CEOs have to go on an uh, acquisition spree. The current situation is either acquire or get acquired because there is enough money in the marketplace and the companies available are limited in number. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to go on for an acquisition. Correct. So... Yes, running an organization is fine, hmm. but focusing solely on organic growth and ignoring acquisition is not a good idea for hmm. uh, the CEOs. The other important aspect of the CEOs are companies have, in this global environment, the CEOs have to be politically savvy also. Okay. Dealing with the governments of China, dealing with the governments in the United States, then it's not that one government uh, policy stays even when the government changes. The policies dramatically change when governments change. So the, the CEOs have to be politically savvy. And more importantly, the CEOs have to know how to engage the millennials. Mm -hmm. Their mindset, their attitudes, their expectations, their work ethics, they are all completely different. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, I believe that their work ethics are far better than the current generation's work mm -hmm. ethics. So these are some of the things I address in the class. Fantastic. And, you know, based on, again, all the research that you have done and all the programs that you are running for the CEO of 2030, what, in your opinion, are some of the key qualities a CEO needs to have? One, he or she needs to be bold. Okay. They can never be scared. Hmm. Two, there are crucial decisions they have to make. Hmm. For instance, if 
you are the ceo of pepsi hmm. you better be open to pushing high sugar high salt high calorie low priced sugar water to kids hmm. because you must learn to balance the interests of your investors your employees your uh, suppliers and your customers correct and that is not easy hmm. previously that was pretty straightforward today the investors are pushing the ceos from one direction hmm. then they have this uh, active consumers around the world they say no 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 this is not acceptable hmm. and then you have to uh, you have to uh, satisfy the needs of various other lobbies hmm. so it's becoming a balancing game so the ceos need to be one very communicative okay and two the ceos have to be very clear in their minds as to whether the decisions they make are compatible with their values if not they are they just have to get out of there because they are answerable not just to the investors but to the employees but to the customers agree and also to the activists there are activists today who are overseeing these companies from a distance and then saying what is acceptable and what is not mm very interesting So one more question for you before I move to some uh, personal questions. You know, you have as a as as someone who has taught so many students over the years and now of course the world belongs to the millennials and the the Gen Zs. What is your view or impression of millennials and the Gen Zs in the world of technology and entrepreneurship? One they adapt fa- uh, faster than others. correct because they have been born and brought up in this rapidly changing environment correct their understanding of what change is is much different from our understanding of what change is mm. the second one is they are used to this model of uh, uber and uber eats and uh, these kind of things they don't believe in investing in capital equipment mm. you know the, the cloud computing as told them you don't need hardware you right. just rent space somewhere mm. so they are very comfortable with that setting and they are not looking for a long term relationships in employments that is something that is surprising to me mm. because their behavior in consuming products seem to be carried forward to their behavior in the office right. they don't see anything long term okay and they are impatient because they are used to getting things done in the press of a button Maybe. they are used to getting things delivered services delivered hmm. so there is not much planning needed there is not much planning going on and they are not planning much okay. so they are looking at short term returns rightfully or wrongfully that's the way the world is going and that's the way uh, things are working today wonderful wonderful So Ram I'm going to now move to some questions for you personally I think I have time for maybe three or four questions My first question is for for someone who has achieved so much in academic someone who has achieved so much as an entrepreneur personally what does success mean to Ram Well actually nothing I I'm I'm sorry to pull philosophy on you mm-hmm. um the the reason being Uh, I know there is a quote uh, in Bhagavad Gita. There is a statement in Bhagavad Gita that says, "Karmanya eva adiga raste ma paleshu kadachana." What it means is, just do your job. Mm-hmm. 
don't worry about the consequences mm. okay so i i'm a strict follower of some of these uh, verses in bhagavad gita so okay. i can differentiate between success and failure okay success and failures i view them as mere consequences of one's hard work mm. so if if i am not to worry about failure i shouldn't be celebrating success i view success or failure more through the lens of how it's going to impact my uh, employees okay and a follow up question to that is that you know you keep doing so many different things where do you keep getting your inspiration from oh people around me you know my classmates my classmates children and uh, my dad who's an 80 year old guy i call him uh, whenever i have doubts in sanskrit or english or in malayalam he can help mm-hmm. me all that mm-hmm. or my 18 year old daughter i have access to people from 18 to 80 wonderful and uh, what i have realized is this uh, whether it is my college professors whether it is my uh, Uh, employees ex employees other founders yeah. uh, classmates kids i can always pick up a phone and then call them the way they help me out the way they are enthusiastic in contributing mm-hmm. tells me that these people seem to like me even though they know me that is what is a surprise okay well said so my next question to you is that if you ram were a role model to millions of children who closely followed you and your life choices what is the one thing you would change in yourself one i would learn to or i would have learned to quantify risk for earlier in life okay. and that is something that i am trying to uh, inculcate in the minds of young people today mm-hmm. not to be afraid of risk before you uh, before you move away from risk first quantify it investigate it understand it fully Okay. and then you decide whether you want to take that risk or not okay the second one is you are what your environment is mm-hmm. you know i am a product of the environment that i was born into but the problem is if you are born into an environment where mm-hmm. you are not given enough information you must know this well in advance and you need to do something about it and change it okay so it is about introspecting looking at the environment looking around and then saying can i move to a better environment today with the internet that is easily done virtually mm. well said so i have time for two more questions for you my next question is on failure and you know i have a new book coming out on failure in you know uh, or everyone fails but in south asia particularly we don't teach our children it's okay to fail but we keep failing what what have been some of your learnings from some of your biggest mistakes or failures oh you want to talk about my failure how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> we all have lots of time <laughs> okay so what i have learned is this again this is a quote from bhagavad gita hmm. okay there is a statement in bhagavad gita that says sidya sidyo samo bhudva samadvam yoga uchyate mm-hmm. what it means is success or failure treat them equal Okay. that mindset is called yoga yoga is not just physical it's also mindset correct correct so when i look at failure i i have failed in one or a couple of instances mm-hmm. so when i look at failure the first thing that comes to my mind is how is this going to affect my employees mm-hmm. how what am i going to tell my employees about how they are related to this failure mm-hmm. first i tell them is okay 
everything is on me hmm. you guys have been exceptionally uh, good hmm. so if things don't work it is my responsibility hmm. you know i think daniel kahneman uh, a psychologist who won even a nobel prize in finance he said we as human beings attribute our failures to external forces but our successes to our talent okay so i am aware of it so the first thing i do is don't attribute external forces to failure hmm. i must accept responsibility because if i don't i am not going to introspect or investigate why hmm. things happen right. and how not repeat it right and there is no point in you know sitting in a corner and crying about it hmm. because any entrepreneur should know 70 to 75% of ventures would fail in the first 7 years right so that is why when my first venture succeeded i was surprised wonderful ram thank you so much it's been such a pleasure speaking to you i wish you and everything else that you're doing lots of success thank you sir i admire you a lot and this was a learning experience thank you thank you so much Thank you for listening to the brand called You video cast and podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.